You're listening to episode number 12 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I speak about the topic of church planting. I believe that your church is closer to planting than you think. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.B. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.B. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in and checking out this episode of Strike the Match. I have been greatly blessed by your words of encouragement over the past several weeks since I launched this podcast uh, just a handful of weeks ago. Just your words of encouragement have been a great blessing and uh, and your appreciation. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And uh, I am honored. I really am honored when you uh, listen and also uh, deeply, deeply honored when you recommend uh, this uh, podcast uh, to others that you know of as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, please keep spreading the word. I, I certainly, certainly appreciate you sharing. Um, if you're not a subscriber, I do hope that that you will subscribe uh, to Strike the Match and um, just give you guys a heads up. The uh, next several weeks as we move into the summer months, uh, still got several several episodes uh, already uh, scheduled with guests uh, such as uh, Enoch Wan. Uh, he uh, and I had a conversation re- recently. Enoch is a missiologist, one of the world's leading experts in the area of mission and migration. Uh, spoke recently with John Hirsch, uh, CEO of GMI. Uh, Mark Snowden and I had a, had, had a good conversation related to Bible storying. Uh, uh, Samuel Chang and I uh, spoke recently. Steve Moore and uh, then uh, spoke recently with uh, Dave uh, Datema and uh, also Paul uh, Dubinsky, uh, guys that are connected to the artist formerly known as the U.S. Center for World Mission, now known as Frontier Venture. And so uh, we'll have uh, have those guys on um, on the uh, podcast in the near future, Lord willing. Uh, Brad Wall also uh, joins us. Uh, Brad is uh, with Global Gates up in New York doing some amazing work uh, through Global Gates there in reaching unreached people groups. So got a really excited, uh, really exciting uh, several weeks coming up uh, that uh, will carry us through the summer months. So, so, so if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe so you won't you won't miss uh, miss out on any of those. And uh, in addition to those, we got several several other uh, episodes that are scheduled as well, several other important topics that I want to share with you guys uh, according or across the uh, the summer months. I'm looking forward to the summer. Uh, family and I are making uh, plans, uh, obviously, for vacation. And then uh, Sarah and I just recently celebrated our 20th anniversary. And so we're going to try to get away for for some time, uh, just, uh, just the two of us, and then have some time later on in the uh, in the summer as well to spend with with uh, with our kids uh, and other family at the beach and so looking forward to that I hope you have a good uh, summer schedule and um, hope you're looking forward to your your time uh, as we move into uh, those months um, on the on the riding front just give you guys a heads up on my my present uh, projects that I'm working on, Lord willing, I'll have uh, have two books that are coming out this year. Getting ready to release one in the next. Uh, I'm I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be released uh, toward the end of June, maybe into July. Uh, a book that I'm very excited about called "To the Edge: 
uh, reflections on kingdom leadership, innovation, and mission to the edge. Uh, exciting book. Uh, the subtitle really kind of says it all. It's a book that really kind of pushes you up to the edge and, and challenges you to think about issues related to change, issues related to what it means to be a leader and to lead, uh, to be a part of, of, of spirit-led innovation. And so if you if you like what you're hearing on Strike the Match, uh, you will really you'll really appreciate this book. Uh, if you if you read my blog at jdpain.org, um, I think you'll even appreciate the book even more so because much of the concepts and things that I flesh out have been fleshing out uh, on my blog. I'm dealing with in in, in this book, and so uh, I'm self-publishing that. So that uh, will be will be coming out, uh, Lord willing, uh, latter part of June into July. Uh, it's already been finished, been edited, and all that that crazy good stuff. It's just now going through formatting, kind of issues in ter- in you know interior formatting, things of that nature. So so keep an ear to the rail, and I will share more with you guys about that topic as uh, as the time. Time for its uh, release uh, uh, comes upon us. Uh, second work uh, that's going on right now is uh, is a book that is scheduled to release in November called Apostolic Church Planting, Birthing New Churches from New Believers. I, uh, I'm doing this uh, this work with InterVarsity Press. It's been a great blessing to work with them on, on this project. I'm also excited about this book as well. It is it's concise. It is it's it's biblically grounded in in the issue of church planting and and also practically uh, uh, driven as well. And so uh, keep uh, keep an eye out for that. Oh, and by the way, yeah, that is actually um, it's actually you can get it on a, you can pre-order it now. So uh, I know Amazon has it for pre-order. I know InterVarsity has it for pre-order on their site as well, so if you want to go ahead and pre-order uh, a copy for yourself, copies for others, uh, this is a great time to go ahead and, and, and do that. Uh, November's the release date on that. The title of the book is Apostolic Church Planting. And that sort of brings us to the, uh, the topic of this podcast today. I have been uh, wanting to spend some time talking to you and about the the notion of of church planting and and specifically address it from the angle of the 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 fact that I believe that your church is really closer to church planting than your church believes that she is to church planting. So today I am I'm speaking as one pastor primarily to other pastors that are listening. Uh, however, I know that uh, some of you are leading mission agencies, uh, you are professors, you are serving in a multitude of different roles in ministry, uh, you are faithfully using your gifts uh, as a member in your local church, and so you may not be that pastor, uh, but if you know of a pastor— I would like to encourage you to pass along this podcast uh, to to that pastor, to that leader in your church that is that is considering or is in the process of leading your church to be involved in in church planting. But at the same time, I, I think that this this podcast will be something that will be also beneficial to to you as well. So, with that in mind, let me go ahead and just and just kind of jump in and get started. And let me just start off by saying this: you know, one of the reasons why most churches do not participate in church planting. 
particularly in the United States, I'm, I'm specifically speaking about the U.S. or specifically speaking or generally speaking about a North American context here, but I'm sure there, there are principles here that apply across the world. Um, one of the reasons why most churches do not participate in church planting is that they believe it to be something grandiose and outside of their reach. Uh, pastors, uh, we often listen uh, to the exceptional stories, the the listen to the exceptional, ten talented, high capacity church planter that's out there, and assume that one must be like him to do church planting, kind of quote unquote the right way. I mean, you check out the books, you listen to, uh, you listen to podcasts, you you go to the conferences, and you usually hear these stories from these eight, nine, ten talented type of uh, a very uh, of, t- of leader that's out there. And, and those are the stories that are being promoted. Those are the stories that are being being praised. And we sort of set that as our scorecard of the right way of doing things. And so we begin to have thoughts like, you know, we don't have a guy like that in our congregation. Uh, therefore, we can't plan a church. Uh, our church is made up of managers and teachers and bankers and electricians and welders and servers and stay-at-home moms and college students, mechanics, accountants. Uh, we have physicians and painters and contractors. We don't have the charismatic, ten-talented, exceptional church planter like that. Now, let me make this statement before I continue on, and that is I am not railing against, I'm not against that Ten talented church planter. I have trained many guys uh, that are eight, nine, ten talented type church planters. I have I have served alongside side those guys, and and so they are a part of the body of Christ, and that is good and that is great. Um, however, church planting, even within the body of Christ, let's say it this way, is is a niche. If I can use that phrase, it's it's a minority, if you will. It's an it's 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 not it's not. As prevalent, it's not a very broad thing that happens, and and so even within that realm of that 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 narrow that minority group of church planters that are out there, when we begin to look for the the ten talented type guys, they are they are the the minority of the minority. In other words, they are they're not just a needle in one haystack. They they're a needle among twenty haystacks that are out there in the church planning world. We hear of complex church planning methods and elaborate systems for church planning and what we do is we assume we assume that such, such is necessary for a church to be planted uh, we look at our people in our pews in our churches and we think man that that task is just too great for our congregation one of the things we have to understand when we begin to go back to the scriptures is when we look at the definition of biblical church planting we don't see something that is complex as we have made it out to be within the North American context today. Um, we 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 look at the 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 things that are that are that are structured and very elaborate, and we look at things with a great amount of of church tradition put into it, and we take that to the field and we plant that uh, and. And we look at that and we think, well, that's the only way to do it. Now, while the vision may be good, uh, the vision for church planning may be good and it may be right, oftentimes it requires the execution of methods and carrying out a strategy that only those high-capacity type leaders could manipulate, could execute. And we, we rightly look at the people in our churches and we think, we don't have people that could do that. And that is, the, that is true. We don't. 
So in this podcast, in this in this conversation uh, that I am laying out before you guys to begin to think about in the process, I, I want to help us understand that church planting involves a series of small steps that are not beyond the grasp of local churches. Since we're talking about church planting, let me say what we're not talking about. We're not talking about starting worship services. That comes with church planting, but that is something that comes down the line as the people grow and mature in their faith and begin to develop in that area. So we're not talking about starting worship services. We're not talking about gathering a crowd. We're not talking about organizing kids' programs. We're not talking about renting property, buying buildings. We're not talking about preaching a sermon series through the book of Leviticus. We're not talking about developing a website. We're not talking about creating some kind of mass mailer that we're going to distribute to 50,000 people in a community. We're not talking about raising enough money to start a small company. All of those things that are potentially good things that come with established churches, listen carefully, that come with established churches comprised of long-term kingdom citizens. Those are often the things that we see manifest themselves in churches that have, have decades of sanctification behind them. And so we're not talking about that because the Bible, when it speaks of church planting, isn't talking about churches with a great deal of of years of sanctification. Why? Because in the scriptures, church planting, biblical church planting, is evangelism that results in new churches. It is talking about the birthing of churches from new believers, the planting of churches from out of the harvest fields of lostness, the, the existence of churches that are taking place with 100% conversion growth. So we're not talking about starting, when we say church planting, from a biblical perspective, we're not talking about starting with the idea of gathering these, these, these people who've been in the kingdom of God for many years with all this sanctification behind them that know how to, how to organize and administrate and, and execute all of these things that we who've been in the body of Christ for decades appreciate and desire. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about basic disciple-making, disciple-shaping activities. So with that in mind, I want us to think for a second about a passage in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in this text, in, in verses 2 through 10, we really see the the requirements for the birth of churches, the planting of churches among any people group, in any population segment, in any geographical context, at any point in history. And it's very simple. And I'll give a shout out to, to Charles Brock, who is the individual who who has been incredibly influential on my thinking in church planting. Charles, in his book, uh, Indigenous Church Planting, uh, looks at this text of Scripture, and he uh, alliterates and says, what you find here in this passage is basically the sowers, the seed, the soil, and the spirit at work, and those are the four necessities. And so with that in mind, I want you guys to listen 
as I read this text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and following. Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. And here it is, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come. Paul and his team probably found themselves in Thessalonica, according to the Acts account, maybe three weeks, maybe three weeks in, in time. And during that time, what did they do? They they shared the gospel with the people. The Holy Spirit was at work. People repented of their sin. They placed their faith in Christ. Those new believers were gathered together to be a local expression of the universal body of Christ in the city of Thessalonica. And therefore, the church was birthed. The church came into existence. We see this on on a grander scale. For example, if we look at Acts 13 and 14, I won't read any of those passages, but, but Acts 13 and 14, we see the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And what do you see in this in this text? They they you see this pattern, and the pattern is as they go into these different cities along this first missionary journey, they began in the harvest fields. They began with unbelievers, not long-term kingdom citizens, unbelievers. They began by doing evangelism, and out of that, disciples were made. And out of the disciples being made, churches were birthed. Churches were identified. And then, as we see at the end of Acts chapter 14, it says that they also appointed elders for them in every church. And so, therefore, it should not surprise us when we come to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, and Paul reminds Titus, hey, the reason I left you on Crete was to put in order that which remained and to appoint elders in every town across that island. And so, so what do we see in the New Testament? We see something that is very difficult work when it comes to church planting. There's incredible amounts of spiritual opposition. There's incredible amounts of persecution that is there. It's incredibly difficult work. It is a ministry that is on the edge of kingdom expansion. It involves intensive spiritual warfare. We only need to look at Paul. We only need to look at this text in, in 1 Thessalonians to, to, to understand that such is the case, that church planting is hard. It's very hard. However, church planting is not complex. In fact, it is very simple. And when you look at 1 Thessalonians, you see in the first few verses the requirements for the birth of the church. It is a task Church planning is a task for both the educated and the uneducated, the literate and the illiterate, the full-time employee and the unemployed. Church planting is evangelism that results in new churches. The beginning point 
The beginning point for church planting, the beginning point for your church, your church planting team is not to start with long-term Christians. The team begins with unbelievers. And so with that in mind, the movement, if you will, the movement of the gospel across a population segment or an unreached people group begins with the sharing of the gospel. And it does not move to, to a church until disciples are made. And until disciples are made, they don't talk about church. So what do we see? What do we see practically that that could be something that we can be thinking about today in light of what I said just a few moments ago, that I believe your church is closer to church planting than she actually thinks she is? Let me throw out some questions. Let me throw out some questions to you with sort of a sort of a, 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 a an example, if you will, of this notion of church planting. So, if you're trying to lead your people to be involved in church planting, or, or maybe you personally still have not caught the vision for it yourself, here's some questions that I want you to consider asking yourself. So, so for example, here we go. Can you and two or three people be involved in, as a team that? that team will share the gospel with other people. Uh, can the three of you, the two or three of you, can you set a 12-month month goal, all right? So let's imagine a 12-month goal, getting very practical here, that you would say, by the grace of the Lord, obviously we know we cannot, sell, uh, we cannot, bring, we cannot save anyone. It's, it's a work of, of God's grace. But by God's grace, we three people on this, this church planting team we will work to see nine people. For example, I'm just pulling that number out of the air. Nine people, that's three people per member of the team. Nine people come to follow Jesus at the end of that 12 months. Can you see that? Can you see yourself and three other people from your church? Can you see a team of three people from your church going to work among an unreached people group in your community, in your city, in your town, in your village, wherever you may be, and could you see nine people at the end of 12 months come to faith? What does that mean? That means for, for 12 months, all that group of people, all they're doing is they're connecting with people, they're serving people, they're loving them, they're preaching the gospel to them. They're not building websites, they're not organizing programs, they're not trying to raise enough money to start a small business, they're just doing evangelism, basic disciple-making. Some other questions, kind of take it on a little bit farther. Can those three, can the three of you gather, can you gather those new disciples, those nine new disciples, those nine new believers into a small group, whereby you will begin to teach them how to follow Jesus? Can each of you mentor these nine outside of this weekly group time? Maybe, maybe each person take on three people, and you begin to pour your life into to just, to, just, just the three people of what it means to be a disciple. Can you and your team... Can you model the Christian lifestyle before this small group? Just like what we read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That Can they look at your lives and can they become imitators of you? Can, can you model this Christian lifestyle before this small group while you're leading them simultaneously through an intentional study of God's Word regarding what is the local church and the functions of the local church? And obviously, when you're teaching them what it means to follow Jesus, when you're teaching them what it means to be a disciple, you cannot teach that apart from covenant community. In other words, if they're not living this out in relationship in a community of other believers, also known as the local expression of the body of Christ, you, you cannot be growing in the walk that the Lord desires you to walk. In other words, there are no lone rangers for Jesus. 
So, so can you do this? Can you be leading them through the word of what it means to follow Jesus and what this, this ecclesiology is that we see throughout the scripture? Can you do that? After studying through the word with them about what a local church is and modeling it for these, these new believers, modeling body life for them, can you and your team, can you challenge this small group? Can you challenge them with this understanding? Is the Spirit leading you you 9, you 10, you 7, you 25, whatever, is the Spirit leading you to unite together to be the local expression of the universal body of Christ in this area, in this place, to carry out this mission across the world? Can, can, you, can, you, can you lead them in that journey and challenge them with that question? And if they decide to self-identify as a local church, then you and your team can begin working with them to raise up their own elders, raise up their own pastors, whom you and your team will then in turn begin to spend more time developing as pastors for that body. Could you see, could you see yourself, could you see people in your church doing what I just described? Could you see your church being a part of what I just described? Notice all that I talked about was sharing the gospel, teaching the Word, showing the Word, challenging these people to be obedient to the claims of Christ. Can you see yourself doing that? Can you see yourself being involved in not only connecting with unbelievers, but eventually seeing those new believers as they come to faith being raised up as pastors, and you begin to train them. You begin to train them and equip them to pastor this body of nine, this body of 12, this body of 25 people, and set them on a path of healthy growth, healthy sanctification, that the Word, as we read here in 1 Thessalonians, that the Word would ring forth all across the region of Macedonia and Achaia, that the gospel would go forth, that they in turn would even set an example to other believers. Can you see that in your community? So, pastors, I want you to think about some things. I want you to to think about, about the people that are part of your congregation. Are your mechanics, are your teachers, your stay-at-home moms, your managers, your college students, are they sharing the gospel? Are your plumbers, are your servers, your business owners teaching one another right now from the Word and having fellowship in small groups, whether that's Sunday school or community groups or home fellowships or family groups or whatever you call them? If so, if those things are taking place, that your people are preaching the gospel in the highways and hedges, if they're making disciples out of the harvest already, if they're teaching the word to one another, if they got this healthy understanding of small group life and body life, what it means to follow Jesus in covenant community, then your church is much closer to church planting than you probably think they are. Whenever we remove much of the hype, the quantitative expectations, and the North American cultural expressions of church planting, we come to recognize that church planting is not very glamorous. It involves small steps. It is about making disciples from out of the harvest and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. If your people can do this, then by God's grace and their calling on his calling on their lives to form church planting teams to be sent to go, then your church can plant churches and can plant many churches. But if we cannot make disciples, if we cannot gather them, if we cannot teach them to obey, then we have a problem. And it's a problem that's much deeper than believing 
that our church cannot be involved in church planting due to the lack of money, high-caliber leaders, excellent musicians, great programs, great speakers, et cetera, et cetera. We have a fundamental discipleship issue in our church. If our people just aren't a part of disciple-making, gathering, teaching them, seeing them baptized, seeing them become fruit-bearing disciples. So I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this understanding, with this, this idea that this notion of church planting is not as complicated and it's not as complex from a biblical perspective as it is in North America today. In fact, if the amount of complexity for what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to plant churches, if that level of complexity was present and was the expectation in the first century, the gospel would have never left the Middle East. And so we have an opportunity as leaders to say to our people, let's go to the Scriptures and let's see what the Bible has to say about this. We have been told, we have heard that it was said, church planting looks like this and that all church planters look like that. But I tell you, let's look at what the Bible has to say. And I believe when you begin to do that and you as a leader begin to cast that vision of the possible before your people and you begin to shepherd them through the Word, empower them, and raise up your plumbers and raise up your bankers and your accountants and your college students, then you will begin to see the multiplication of not only disciples and leaders, but you will begin to see the multiplication of churches among unreached people groups in your community across North America and throughout the world. Guys, thanks so much for checking out this podcast today. Again, appreciate your time that you have spent uh, listening to me today on Strike the Match. May the Lord bless you in all that you're doing, and may you continue to be about the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and yes, also churches for His name. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.